Don't follow in your pew Bible. They're not there. Our reading today is from Genesis chapter 11, verses 1 to 9. Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. As men moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, hey, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves and not be scattered over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower that the men were building. The Lord said, If as one people speaking the same language they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there all over the earth, and they stopped building the city. That is why it was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everyone. I've got to say, sometimes I just don't feel up for the task, so I'm feeling a little bit like that, so you can pray for me this morning. (laughs) The... uh, and one thing that's funny is because Jen came, she's like, oh, the pew Bibles are gone. So, so we just gave her one off of Sam's shelf, which of course is an old version of the NIV, which uh, apparently only men are the problem with Babel. So woman, I guess you can be encouraged that you weren't part of the terrible things that the Babylonians are. No, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Those, uh, anyway. Women and men, yeah, I'm not a fan of the, I'm a fan of our translations that bring the the language of the Bible into the the way it would have been read, which the readers would have understood that was all of humanity and not just the men. But anyway, that's just, that's nothing to do with this at all this morning, but uh, (laughs) I'm just, maybe I'm just distracting myself from having to get to what I'm supposed to talk about. So I've never been one to have an extremely sensitive nose to discern uh, distinct, you know, ingredients or smells. I'm not like a wine sommelier, which is a fancy word, I guess, for someone who sniffs and drinks wine for a profession, who can smell wine and they can tell you all about the grape. I'm not a person who can tell you what spices are in my food. Even as a coffee lover, I cannot tell you one type of bean from another by the smell or even from the taste for that matter. But while I don't have a nose of distinction, I do love the aroma of a fresh cup of of good coffee or a delicious meal. And of course, I'm not always able to tell if something is amazing uh, by the smell alone. And I remember when I was was a teen or even in my early 20s, uh, visiting uh, people who lived in an apartment building where they had Indian-Canadian neighbors. And by Indian, of course, I mean people whose heritage is from the country of India. And I remember when the elevator doors would open and the hallway air would fill uh, fill the elevator with the smell of sense of curry. Uh, And I am embarrassed to admit this now, but at the time, I remember thinking, wow, I could never live here. (laughs) 
The smell is so strong and it's soaking in wallpaper and clothes and furniture. It seems so strong and foreign to me that I just, I found it uncomfortable. And I want to emphasize that I feel embarrassed about that now. (laughs) Jump forward a couple years and I was volunteering with a music-based ministry where I had the opportunity to go to India with a team to work uh, with, working with Youth for Christ for two weeks. We were in southern India, mostly in the cities of Hyderabad and Chennai. And now, in case you didn't notice, I'm white. I'll just put that out there. But I was by far not the whitest person on my team. Uh, there was one redhead guy from a small town in Iowa who was so white that if you looked at him while the sun was shining, the glare would give you sunspots in your eyes. I mean, obviously, I'm over-exaggerating, but I remember very fondly whenever we ate, his whole body would turn from a fluorescent white to a beet red, and the, the sweat would just be pouring over him. Of course, for someone from Iowa and India, he was sweating the whole time anyway, just because of the general temperature. And that was, and this burning of, his name was Dusty, uh, this is with our hosts giving us the least spiciest food possible. They were doing everything they could to not make this food spicy. But what I remember even more than the fire on my tongue was the heavenly flavor of almost everything I ate. It was glorious. It was heavenly And ever since then, whenever the elevator doors to the floor of a condo apartment complex open and that smell of curry washes over me, I breathe it in deep and I wish that I could be invited over for dinner. (laughs) I've contemplated knocking on on doors, but uh, I'm I'm not uh, extroverted enough for that kind of behavior, but... uh... Now, I admit this story highlights a somewhat surface-level growth of learning to appreciate a culture which was different or foreign to my personal upbringing. However, I think as a metaphor, as an image that can point to something greater, I think the story is a small example of the trajectory of God's plan for us. Trajectory means the the movement, the intentional going forward of God's plan for us as people from different cultures and nations and languages, socioeconomic realities, and I would say even theological uh, or doctrinal uh, difference. All differences. This trajectory, this forward direction to which God is leading all of humanity in the kingdom of Jesus, I believe, is moving from experiencing difference as being something that is foreign to us, moving from that to appreciating those who are different as our neighbor, and continuing to move forward to loving those who are different as family. Now, when we are... And as we come to be family with that which was foreign, we become mutually home to one another in loving communion where our differences can be a beautiful reflection of the person of who God is. So let's uh, pause uh, to pray. God, uh, we ask that you would help us to see you as you are, that we may see who we are, 
And that those who we think of as them may grow to, that we may grow to love no longer as them, but as us and as family in a beautiful community of difference. Amen. Now, for those of you who are just joining us, we're currently moving through a series called a Kaleidoscope Community. And we are following the, the themes in this uh, book called Beautiful Community by Erwin L. Ince Jr. Our life groups are reading through the book in tandem with the morning worship series. Uh, if you are interested in participating in, in a kind of a discussion a group, please let us know. We'd love to hook you up. Um, I don't think we have any more copies, but these are available uh, I mean, online. Uh, but if you can't afford one but would like one, let us know and, and we'll hook you up. Now, We've pondered the revelation of who God is, and that is God is three persons. God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They're three who share one essence. One God, a perfect union of love. We looked at how God in God's very self is unity in diversity as Father, Son, and Spirit. If none of that makes any sense to you, uh, you can, I guess you can check out our uh, worship from a couple of weeks ago. Last week, we focused on how humans made in God's image as male and female are reflections of unity and diversity. Our identity is found not in sin and brokenness, but in our belovedness created where God's image is neither male nor female. And in fact, is greater than both together. And I'm hoping that through our time together today, we'll at least come to see somewhat that God's image in us is beautifully reflected even more, not only when we come together across different genders, but when we come together in the welcome and love of other cultures, languages, nations, tribes, and races. And the story uh, that Jen read for us uh, from the first book, uh, it's in the first book of our Bibles, and it's called Genesis. And it tells us how the ancient Israelites understood the origins of creation and humanity. About how, and of course, here the story of the Tower of Babel is about how the Israelites believed that humans went from one people in one location as descendants of one family to being spread throughout the world with different languages and customs. And so I'm going to read uh, part of that again Genesis 11, uh, verses 1 to 4. Now the whole world had one language and one common speech. As people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. And they used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of of the whole earth. Now, there are a few different things of importance going on in the story. One is how we see the origins of human empires using new technologies as tools for accumulating, accumulating power and wealth at the expense of uh, the opposition and oppression of others by preying on them. And of course, this is a theme which is uh, uh, excellently explored in the book Kingdom and Empire by Gene Templemeyer, now available online. For those of you who don't know, well, uh, Gene is our uh, 
uh, our previous pastor who retired a couple years ago, and he just put out a book. So I say that jokingly, but at the same time, it's a great book. If you're interested in exploring the themes of empire in the Bible, uh, you can uh, encourage that's a great read, uh, though that's not the themes that we're following uh, today. Although empire does come into play as we address uh, issues of racial discrimination in Canada, and, 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 but the theme that I want to draw to our attention is that of human migration, the movement of human beings from one place to another. The theme of migration actually begins in the very beginning in Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. Right after God creates humankind, male and female, the first thing that God commands them is this. It says, God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and govern over it. Right here, and God's first command to humankind is to fill the earth. Before the fall, this is happening before the fall, before sin, before brokenness and decay, humans were commanded to go into the world and fill the earth. So if you think about it, God never intended humanity to stay in the garden. Many of us think that if Adam and Eve hadn't messed things up and brought sin into the world by uh, disobeying God, that they would have stayed in the garden. But that was never God's plan. God's plan was always that humans would spread across the whole globe. Even Adam and Eve's sin didn't mess up God's plan. Sin got them kicked out of the garden without being able to return, which of course messed up the timing and, pro and how hard life would be for them and for us. But they were always created with the intention to fill the earth. And then we fast forward a bit to a time when humanity had become so hopelessly wicked that God decided to start from scratch with Noah and his family, the kind of famous story of the ark where he builds an ark and fills it with all the animals, uh, a pair of each animal, and then a flood comes. Uh, and only those who are on the boat remain and the world, uh, earth, has begun again uh, with those who, who are off the boat. And what's the first thing that God says to Noah and the family once they get off of the ark? It's Genesis 9-1. Uh, God blessed Noah and his sons, saying to them, Be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. Fill the earth. So again, the first thing that the beginning of humanity, round two, is supposed to do is fill the earth. Then a short time later, of course, we come to our story and humanity that was created and called to migrate throughout the whole earth has decided to stop migrating and to settle in one spot. Uh, 11 verses 4. They said, come, let us build a city with a tower that reaches the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to the city and to see the city and the tower of the people that the people were building. The Lord said, if as one speak people speaking the same language, they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible. Come, let us go down and confess 
confuse their language so they'll not be able to understand each other. So, the Lord scattered them from there over all of the earth, and they stopped building the city. And that is why it is called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. And from there the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. The sin of Babel was not simply solely human pride and the desire to make their name great as gods, but it was to actually reject God's command to fill the earth. They actually said, let's do this so that we aren't having to be scattered throughout the world. They wanted power and prestige and wealth, but they also wanted to stay together amongst their own kind. Yet, like with the sin of Adam and Eve that got them kicked out of the garden, humanity here did not stop God's plan. It just meant that humanity missed the opportunity to work alongside of God. So instead of working with God, they chose to impede God's plan of the scattering of humankind over the whole earth. But God brought the plan to be regardless. But instead of going out in unity and working with God, they were scattered in division and confusion over the whole earth with the creation of different languages. Now, one question, of course, is why is it so important for God that humanity be scattered all over the world? And I think a part of that answer to that question is what happens when humans migrate. And I, uh, I want to read from uh, Brenda Salter McNeil in her book, Roadmap to Reconciliation 2.0. Uh, I think she has a really great insight into this. She says this, As this migration took place, these nomads would begin to encounter different types of environmental conditions. And as they adapted to their surroundings, different cultural lifestyles would start to emerge. For example, a group encountering a particular soil condition would need to grow and eat crops that were specific to that particular region's soil and climate. This would require them to develop different farming, hunting tools, and cooking methods. Migration would also mean that as a group of people encountered weather conditions that were new to them, they would need to adapt, wearing clothes and building houses suitable for their particular environment. So the result of God's command to fill the earth would be difference. Different stories, different words, different myths, songs, styles of communication, food, clothing. The development of different cultures didn't take God by surprise. This is what the triune God intended from the beginning. Cultural difference and diversity was always a part of God's original plan for human beings. This result of God's command to fill the earth would be difference. Just as God and God's self is difference in eternal unity... Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So God's plan for us is to reflect that image. When we all look and sound and think and smell the same, God's image through us is stifled. And so God sent us into the world that different languages and cultures and worldviews and art and beauty would be nurtured to reflect different aspects of God's image in humanity. And this, I believe, is God's intent from the start. But as we know, 
Sin and division has woven itself into the fabric of the created order. What was originally God's design for the beauty of different cultures and languages and ethnicities to be a witness to the beauty of who God is as a perfect, loving unity of difference and community, this original design was twisted and became a place of division, of fear, of oppression of those we don't understand. A fear of that which is foreign threatening our safety and culture. And we see, this, we see this every day in our news feeds. In the ways that countries seek to protect themselves and talk about that people about foreign coming and changing and altering or stealing. But that is sin, not God's design. Dehumanization through discrimination and systemic racism is what grows when we do not see and believe that our differences are God's created purposes of revealing the divine image through one another. Now, the author of uh, this book that we're reading, uh, he has a lot of... (laughs) He has a lot of really great and important things worth hearing, otherwise we wouldn't have chosen the book. At the same time, there's quite a bit in in this book that I actually disagree with. You could say that part of choosing this book, uh, when we chose it as a team, is an intentional act of seeking unity in diversity. One of my mentors always said that if you agree with everything that an author says in a book, you haven't actually read the book. One place I disagree with him is he says this. He says, The creation of different races is full-blown ghettoization and idolatry. Now, so you know his language. For him, ghettoization is an environment where a group of people live or work in isolation. They draw their sense of worth and dignity from identification with that community. So ghettoization is essentially isolation but then coming to see your isolated group of people as uh, greater than others. And what's true, we hide in ghettos with those like us. Ethnic, social, cultural, economic, academic, and I would say theological or doctrinal. And I agree with the author that isolating ourselves in what would call homogeneous groups is sinful. However... I disagree that the creation of races is sinful or adulterous. I think that the creation of difference is the beautiful work of God in the world. It is not sin. It is not idolatry. Now, humans twisted it as we isolate in fear and hatred and ignorance and arrogance. But differences of race and culture and language is actually, I think, the opposite of sin. It is not brokenness or rebellion, but it is God's beautiful intent. Right from the beginning and all the way to the end, we see throughout God's trajectory that this is where God is leading humanity. We see in the Old Testament glimpses of this where God's people are called to be a blessing to the nations, though I think God's people are epically messing it up, and they didn't treat other groups equally, but God didn't let them stay there. Through the prophets, God continually called them back to caring from those for other nations. 
In Jesus, we see this trajectory jump leaps ahead with his love and acceptance of ethnicities that the Jews, his own people, would have seen as lower and below them. We see in the story of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit comes down and it sends Jesus' disciples into the streets speaking different languages. People from every nation under heaven hear the good news of Jesus in their own language. However, yet, we've still not arrived. One thing that's often missed about the story of Pentecost is that all of the people who were there, though they are from different languages and nations, they're all Jewish. Everyone is Jewish. So while it was a pivotal moment of God breaking down human-created barriers and languages, it was still a group of people who made allegiance to the nation of Israel. It was still a homogeneous It was still isolated group, even though now it had expanded out beyond uh, language barriers. It was still isolated to the allegiance to one nation. It was a huge step, but it was far from the full picture. And then, of course, as we could continue through the New Testament, the other writings of the New Testament, we see this push and pull between that ghettoization and inclusive welcome where God's trajectory is moving forward, even while sometimes his own people try to pull things backward. And then finally, at the very end of the story, in the book of Revelation, we have a description of what heaven and earth will be like when God makes all things new, and that everything is just the way that God intended it to be. Where people from every nation and tribe and people and language are standing before the throne of the Lamb. This is the trajectory of the kingdom of difference, of, uh, sorry, the trajectory of the creation of difference in humanity. And the worship of God where every nation and tribe and people and language bring their diversity together in unity of spirit but as a, and in a beautiful kaleidoscope of God's image of maintaining their different languages and nationalities but coming together in perfect unity. And a big question The question, of course, for us is, do we want to work alongside of God in the fulfillment of God's trajectory for all of human history? Or do we want to rebel against it? We are invited to bear this vision of all peoples coming together in diverse unity as a reflection of the beauty of God. Now, I want to tell you a secret. I've hinted at it, I've said it. I'm a white, middle-class, heterosexual male. I'm kidding, I've kissed her, this is no secret. You either knew that or probably guessed it. And I'm not ashamed to be, per se, (laughs) such that I am. For I believe, and I need to believe, and we all need to believe, that God created me and us as we are. And we need to believe that who, so there, I, I, it's important that I believe that who I am is who I am because of God's work and not to be ashamed of it. However, as a white, middle-class, heterosexual male, I'm fooling myself if I think that I can really grasp what it's like to be someone who is not. I'm fooling myself if I think that growing up in Canada, 
that the nature of my race and language and economic class and gender hasn't offered me privileges that I did not earn by any other aspect than simply being born as I was. And by the way, this is a place where I do agree with the author of the book, as well as many other authors. Uh, and because I, it's not out of my experience, but I believe it's important, I've leaned heavily on preparing for today, but in, in studying and learning, uh, I lean heavily on authors like Brenda Salter McNeil that I quoted from, theologian Shaniqua Walker-Barnes, uh, Cheryl Anderson, not related to uh, Carl Anderson, Indigenous authors like Thomas King and, and Richard Twiss, as well as the report on the national inquiry into missing and murdered Indigenous girls and women. Those of us who are white, though we need not be ashamed of our whiteness, we do need to be aware of the reality of what privileges we have received. Even in a multicultural city such as Toronto, our culture is still one of white normativity. If you aren't familiar with that term, normativity means simply the norms by which our society functions. What is normal? And even in a multicultural city, the way our city society functions is still normative, normal for white culture. Ince Jr. Uh, quotes a doctor named Corey Edwards, and I think this is a great analogy that I titled the sermon after it. And this uh, Dr. Edwards says that even where there is a, this is not a quote, saying that even where there is racial diversity, but all the norms and structures of power are still from one minority, one majority group, in our case here in Canada, white majority culture, it is simply like adding rainbow sprinkles to a dish of vanilla ice cream. It looks pretty, but the vanilla is still the strongest flavor. Even for individuals who are not racist or who are working to not be racist, it is still the air that we breathe. And many of us are simply unaware of this normativity because, well, it's our normal. It's a reality that we need to acknowledge, and I think we need to seek to proactively change. And this, of course, isn't simply a white thing. All we need to do is look at the, some extreme examples, like the Rwandan genocide, which was black Hutus killing black Tutsis. We look at genis, China's genocide against the uh, Uyghur people. And you can go on and on. Every group of people you can think of in the history of humanity, once they are in a position of power, they oppress others who are different than those who hold the power. Every society in human history oppresses those they identify as foreign. It's in our broken humanity. Once a people group has power, they will do most anything to hold on to it. They will build walls, whether physical ones along borders or within systems and assumptions and biases. If we really want to work alongside God in fulfilling the kingdom trajectory of unity and diversity, we need to acknowledge and address 
not just our individual relationships towards one another, but we need to acknowledge and address the very structures of power and privilege on which our inherited, colonialized civilization is built. We need to be willing to sacrifice our power, the safety of isolating ourselves with others who are just like us. And of course, though this isn't always easy, it will mean sacrifice. Especially for, usually, a majority culture requires the sacrifice to be made of the minority groups. And I think any one of you who has immigrated to Canada knows and has experienced that the work is on you, isn't it? You have to work like crazy. Now, adjusting to something new is always going to be your work, right? You start a new job, you've got to, it's hard work to get to know what's going on, not just your role, but the culture, the people. There's a lot of work involved. But if your workplace is, is the very foundations and the culture of the workplace is to make it even harder for you than it has to be, that isn't natural and that isn't good. Any of you who are immigrants, and that you again, this isn't my story, but I've been, as I can only say, as I've been told, that the onus is on those who are in the minority group to do most of the work, and this is not okay. The majority needs to be the ones, or needs to equally be doing the hard work of giving up power, of sacrifice, of being uncomfortable till we get to the place that foreign is no longer uncomfortable, but is simply our neighbor. And then going from being simply our neighbor to being our family with whom we feel at home and they feel at home with us. Of course, this isn't going to be easy. As I said, sacrifice And there will be times it will be very messy, but as we do this work of love, we will find ourselves blessed by the gift of unity and diversity, the gift of beauty and fuller life as we give and receive from one another. And as we do, we will see God's intended design of a beautiful, diverse community come to be in our midst. In Jesus... God has broken down the dividing walls of hostility between us that we may be one. Not one flavor, but a fragrant potpourri of intermingling beautiful flavors and smells. So let us seek unity and welcome that moves us from being foreign to one another, to being neighbors who share life together, to family in whom we feel at home and find true welcome and love. And in the words of Shaniqua Walker Barnes, let us seek reconciliation that confronts inequalities in power, privilege, and access. Reconciliation that is not simply the cessation, that means to stop, the stopping of racial hostility, but that is the establishment or the creation of justice and liberation for all. Let us pray. Jesus, we are thankful, or I should say, I mean, I'm thankful to be in Canada. And as we are, many of us are aware, um, 
There's new insights and awarenesses to the biases, to the normativity that, um, that we think as a diverse city and country uh, means that we are an inclusive, but yet we are coming to know more and more just how the systems and the structures and that normativity is actually oppressive and making things difficult. We ask God that you would help us, that you would take off our blinders that keep us from seeing um, the realities of, of oppression and of discrimination, that you would help us to work towards your goal for creation, your goal for all of humanity, which is to worship alongside of others, of every race and nation and language and tribe and culture, a unity of diversity where we are home with one another, Help us, God. Show us small things that we can do. Show us big things that we can do. And help us to strive alongside of you towards this end. Amen.